This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios. Rocket Mortgage knows that home is so much more than a house. It's the home of your dreams. And for 30 years, they've been making it better. Rocket Mortgage. Push button. Get mortgage. It's the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio. 40 minutes from now, Yogi Roth going to join us. Back 12 Network, Elite 11. He says Justin Herbert's better than Joe Burrow. Yeah, he said it, not me. We'll talk to him about it coming up at 12.40 p.m., 9.40 a.m. Pacific. But joining us right now, Barton Simmons, CBS Sports college football writer. Find him on Twitter, at Barton Simmons. Barton, thanks for joining me today, my friend. Yeah, you bet. And I love Yogi. That's my guy right there. But I'm not buying that. I'm not buying uh, Herbert better than Burrow. That's that's oh. hard for me to fathom right there. He's a Pac-12 guy. He's a shill. I'll call him out for it. And for, no, I'm kidding. I'll, I will ask him why he says that, though, coming up in about 40 minutes. So I promise you that one, Barton. Barton Simmons joining us on the show. All right, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia. Who is not going to be in the college football playoff out of those four? Well, I mean, I think that basically what you're asking me is, um, is Ohio State going to lose? Is Clemson going to lose? And is and who's going to win against um, LSU and Georgia? I don't think Ohio State's going to lose. I don't think Clemson's. I, I almost know Clemson's not going to lose. I can't even fathom what that looks like. And then when it comes to that Georgia LSU matchup, I, I think that LSU wins. I just think that um, this is an era for offensive football. This is an era for quarterbacks. This is an era where you have to be able to score points uh, with volume and. Georgia is one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, they are sort of Alabama circa 2012. Like, it's, it's the old Alabama is, is what Georgia currently is. And that's a tough team to play. It's a tough team to beat. But I, I think when you're talking about that tier, national title, 2019, um, I, I just think you've got to be able to score points. And I'm not, I'm not confident Georgia can score enough. And so I, I think LSU would be able to outlast them in that kind of game when it gets to the fourth quarter. So um, so I would say Georgia with two losses will be out among that crew. Does the committee want an LSU-Alabama rematch? I think they'd love it if Tua was healthy. Uh, hmm. But I, I think with Tua injured uh, – and then, look, my, my, my philosophy on, on this Tua situation is if you believe Alabama with Tua is a top-four team and deserves to be in the playoffs, then you should believe – that Alabama currently still deserves to be in the playoffs, and then let's see what they look like with Mac Jones. If they look worse with Mac Jones, if they barely survive Auburn and Mac Jones and the offense aren't clicking, then you need to then pull the plug on that philosophy. But I, I don't think we should preemptively ding Alabama. Uh, if you did, and look, a lot of people, rightfully so, don't believe Alabama is a top four team uh, and shouldn't be in the playoffs. But if you are one of those people that did believe that prior to the two injury, you should still believe that because we have to give this team the benefit of the doubt and allow it to perform with their new quarterback, see if the defense rises up, see if the playmakers around them rise up. Uh, but all that said, no, I, I think that 
what we're going to ultimately see is this is the year that Alabama, uh, their, their schedule is going to bite them. Um, didn't get enough done in the, in, in the non-conference. Didn't have enough of a – SEC wasn't strong enough on his current schedule. And so I think when you look across the country, even a team like, you know, everyone's talking about Oregon. Let's talk about Utah. I mean, how bad is Utah just blowing teams out right now? It's, it's only mm-hmm. lost came when its best player, Zach Moss, was uh, injured four carries into the game. And um, USC, the team that beat it, was, is now a top 25 team. But there's just, when you include Utah, Oregon, whoever wins that game, when you talk about Oklahoma and, and, and who they would have beaten if they can get out of the Big 12 alive, uh, I, I just think at this point in the process, and I've sort of worked up to this, uh, I just think it's it's really hard to defend putting Alabama in. It's just not dominating enough on both sides of the ball to get the benefit of the doubt. Um, and, and so I, I doubt that it does. Well, where would you, Barton Simmons joining us on the show, Barton, where would you rank uh, the Pac-12 among the Power Five? I would, I would have it above the ACC, and that's it. And um, I, I think, like I've, I've long said, that, that to me the Big 12 is, is – it's probably the toughest conference in college football, not because it's, it's got the most juggernauts, because it's the toughest conference week in, week out. Um, the Pac-12 is, is similar to that in that there's not really a bottom. There's, there's a bunch of teams that are, that are, that are decent, um, can give you trouble every night, but it's, it's a lower level of, of sort of a middle, middle class than, than the Big 12 to me. Uh, so the question just is, comes to how good is Oregon and Utah. Mm-hmm. I tend to think they're pretty good. I don't think that they're as good as the top of the SEC. I don't think they're as good as the top of the Big Ten. Um, but they're, they're pretty dang good. And I think, there's, I think they're better than the top of the, the Big 12. Uh, and so um, I think the Pac-12 is a, is a respectable conference. And if you get out of there with a 12-1 and one and you're, an SEC and you're the, the conference champion, I think you deserve to get in. And, and we can't really ding these guys too much for – whatever their schedule presents because they're playing nine conference games. Uh, Oregon went out and scheduled Auburn as it's only uh, as one of its non-conference opportunities. And even Utah, you know, BYU is looking like they may wind up eight and four at the end of the day. And so that's, yeah. that's not such a bad loss or such a bad win either. So I think there's enough now as we've worked up to this point in the season to really validate what the PAC 12 has done. Barton Simmons with the CBS sports. Are we underrating <laughs> Are we underrating defending national champion Clemson right now? Yeah, we are. We are. I mean, I don't. You know, I guess it depends <laughs> what you ask, but uh, it, it does feel like they are are flying under the radar. It's sort of everyone's talking about Ohio State and, and LSU, and um, and when I'm asked this question, when I'm asked not what should the playoff rankings be or what should the seedings be or, or any like thing like that, but when I'm asked, asked just purely who do I think is going to win the national championship? Um, I still think it's Clemson right now. And, and the reason for that is we've, you know, because they're blowing teams out, no one's really paying, no one's really scrutinizing what they're doing. No one's really paying a whole lot of attention. And I don't blame anyone. I'm not, I'm not spending a lot of time watching the, the tail end of the 52 to three wins or whatever it is. Um, but the reality is that Trevor Lawrence is, is suddenly playing like the quarterback that he was supposed to be from the start of the season. Uh, the reality is the defense is one of the best defenses in the country. Um, and they're going to roll into the playoffs healthy. They're going to roll into the playoffs with a future number one draft pick, a quarterback, uh, with a defense that is championship level. And they still got the same playmakers on the perimeter um, and in the backfield that they had last year they won a national championship with. And their offensive line has improved from last year. And so all that said, I, I, you know, Clemson, 
is just loving this whole deal, how everyone's talking about LSU and Ohio State and, and, and kind of overlooking them. And, and they, they manufacture and dabble, um, concocts these, these chips on their shoulder, and they're going to lean into that as much as they'll, you know, the, the media will allow. And uh, so I'm, I'm not going to fall into that trap. I'm going to be out here singing it from the, from the rooftops that, that Clemson still is, is a likely college football playoff champion. You know, because he talked about that damn Roy bus again, and I go, would you get off the Roy bus stuff, man? <laughs> like, find a new thing. And then they went out and they beat a bunch of teams by 40 right after. So I guess whatever works for Dabo is whatever works for Dabo. Do you think that that might be one of the things that, that maybe – does it affect Ryan Day? Does it affect what goes on with Crystal Ball over in Oregon where you, you see what – and even Ed Orgeron. And Ed Orgeron, it seems pretty natural right now. The same thing with Day and even Oregon where – you have Dabo and you have Nick Saban. And I think what gives them an edge is that they always create conflict. And watching like Ohio State over the last couple of years, they got great athletes, but when you lose like you do at Iowa and when you lose like you do at Purdue, it to me that smacks of complacency, that smacks of you're, you're there as a stop to get to the NFL. And I think what what puts Saban and Dabo above the rest is that they consistently create conflict, Barton. Yeah, well, I mean, they're master motivators, and they do it in different ways. And, and, mm-hmm. and you're right, the Roy Buss stuff is so obnoxious, but it's you, you can't really knock it because it ultimately is how Dabo manages to keep his team sharp. Um, Nick Saban has managed to keep his team sharp for the most part um, it, you know, through the years in, in, in kind of a different way. This is what I think is so um, exciting and, and encouraging about Ohio State when you talk about Ryan Day's tenure is I really believe that Urban Meyer, he, he is one of the greatest of all time. But I think that there was a intensity and a just a sort of a, a, a heightened uh, atmosphere in that building that's really kind of weighs on those guys year in, year out. And it, and it works to a degree, but it, but then sort of with that pressure building, you, you have these let-down opportunities uh, that, that Ohio State falls victim to. And I think what Ryan Day's done, he's loosened that building up. He's a very – I mean, what look at the – you mentioned all those coaches. The coaches in the top four right now, they're all very comfortable in their own skin. Mm-hmm. They're all very comfortable who they are, how they want to coach. And, and Ryan Day has done it in his own way. And I think that's what – I think so encouraging about this Ohio State team is is they're going to play with the same level of discipline they've always played with, and yet Ryan Day is going to have them a little looser than they've been with Urban Meyer, having more fun, um, sort of enjoying the moment a little bit. And I think that's really helped them. You could say the same thing about Ed Ogeron. I mean, that guy, those guys love playing with him. He knows who he is. He knows what his strengths are. He's he is he is enjoying every second of this. And so um, I think you have to – you can't pretend to be someone else when you're a head coach uh, at that level. And, and I think all the, the good ones right now are, 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 are buying into that, feeding into that, and, and the teams are responding. And so I, I think that's part of the reason this Ohio State team looks more equipped than the Urban Meyer ones because it's, there's still that, that Urban Meyer remnant intensity left, but Ryan Day has added a, a, a level of, um, I don't know, Fun, maybe mm-hmm. uh, loose mm-hmm. attitude to, to the to the roster that uh, I think they really responded to. We got Barton Simmons joining us on the show, uh, CBS Sports College Football Writer, National College Football Writer. Is it a foregone conclusion that Joe Burrow wins the Heisman? Well, it's I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. It's it's it take a lot. 
for him not to win it. Um, I think it would take LSU losing again, um, missing the playoffs, uh, and that loss would come to either Texas A&M or it would come to Georgia. And I think Joe Burrow would have to be a contributing factor to that loss, meaning multiple interceptions, uh, critical error in, in a big moment. Uh, and, and I think the, the flip side, someone else would have to step up too. Now I think there's options there. There's candidates because, and, and, I, and I look to Ohio State. You know, we're, we're talking right now as this Penn State game's getting going. You know, if, if, if Justin Fields blows up and, and has a big game against Penn State, Michigan, and then the Big Ten championship game, if Chase Young has another Wisconsin-type performance in these games that I just mentioned, I think there's so much, there's so many eyeballs on those three games for Ohio State that the opportunity is very much there. So it, I think it's either Burrow or it's an Ohio State guy, be that Fields or, uh, or Chase Young. And uh, I, I think it would take Burrow really stumbling to the finish line. But, it's, man, it's, it's hard to envision that because he, he's played so well. Martin Simmons joining us on the show. Does Chase Young still have a chance at, even after the suspension? I mean, look, probably not realistically, just because we all know who the Heisman voters are. It's, it's, uh, it, there, there's a lot of folks on that roster that, uh, you know, are, are really just voting for the, the quarterback with the biggest stats. You know, like it's just there's not a lot of nuance to, to the voting process there. Um, and so it's unlikely a defensive player could win it or would win it. But when you look at the games Chase Young missed, uh, Rutgers and Maryland, I mean, who cares? Who, who cares he missed those games? What, what happens, and again, because of, the, because of the role he plays in, in that defense, because of the different ways Ohio State uses him. They'll play him at Mike Linebacker. They'll, they'll move him around to get him in matchups, and, and he just terrorizes these offensive linemen, tight ends and quarterbacks. And so because he has an opportunity to get meaningful sacks in critical moments in top ten games, uh, I still think that he's in the in the race here. He should be in the race, um, but yeah, I mean, realistically, that that seems like a long shot. Uh, but I'm baiting the um, I am blaming the electorate for that being a long shot because I, I think he should be much more in the conversation than he is. Should Travis Etienne be invited? Uh, I, I you know he's he's worthy for sure, um, I, and and I think he is a victim of. Clemson's dominance. Uh, I, I just don't know how, given the way Clemson is beating everybody and, and given the, the lack of primetime games and sort of um, showcase opportunities against a, a really good opponent that everyone's watching, I got a hard time seeing anybody from Clemson making it to New York uh, only because what's his Heisman moment? What, what, when is that moment when everyone's looked around and been tweeting about Travis Etienne? It, it really hadn't come. And so um, I think that'll come when he's in the playoffs. There's going to be some moments there where, where, where Travis Etienne is the talk of the college football world. But um, I, I don't think it's come to this point to where he would, he would get invited over some of the other candidates. Can you take me into a rivalry, final one for you here? Where it's Yale and Harvard, and like I come from a big rivalry from where I'm from. Uh, your rivalry is like a neighborhood I can't get into. So, <laughs> can you help me understand what Yale and Harvard is like? Uh, well, you know, it's funny when you're riding the bus to to Harvard Stadium or to the Yale Bowl. You look out the window, uh, getting ready for that game, and, and there's the the tailgates are as 
um, as big and wide and vast as, as anywhere in the country. But the difference is, you know, you're seeing a lot of fur coats. Uh, you're seeing a lot of champagne. It's a little bit of a different environment. It's, it's as you see generational uh, followers. You see people that uh, are there with their, their grandpa and their, their, their aunt and uncle and, and, and parents and kind of this, this uh, lineage of, of fans because, hey, the, the alumni base is strong and it's, it's important to them, but so are the, the locals, the townies, the, the folks that have been following the program um, throughout their family as well. So it, it is really cool. Um, you know, it's funny, like when I was playing in the, in the Yale Harvard game, uh, we got down to the goal line and our quarterback was trying to, to, to quiet the crowd, you know, put his arms up trying to quiet the crowd. Yeah. And, and all the students kept on getting louder because they just didn't know what he was doing because they don't go to games. They don't really understand, you know, the, all the, the, the nuances and intricacies of sort of their fandom. And so in a lot of cases, it is sort of the first big game setting for the students and, and people like that but uh so it's very different but it's 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 very cool and there's always these these big pranks um my year my senior year uh the 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 harvard sideline put up big signs that said we suck because a, a, a yale pep squad managed to trick them into thinking they're putting up signs that said go harvard so uh, uh well, of there, course, there's all kinds yeah. of little little tricks like that along the way that make it a cool rivalry, but it's uh, it's fun. It'll be on my side TV today for sure, watching that Yale Harvard game. We thank you very much, Barton. All the very best to you. Appreciate the time and hope to run you down again very soon. All right, Ken. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Barton Simmons joining us. I imagine that a uh, Yale-Harvard tailgate will be a little bit like watching Downton Abbey. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Yogi Roth joins us in just over 20 minutes. Up next, after a national title, what's the point? It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. Big thanks to Barton Simmons for joining us. Yale alum. I went to Akron. It's about the same thing. CBS Sports College football writer. We'll have that up on CBSSportsRadio.com here momentarily. Yogi Roth joins us in a matter of minutes. 855-2124-CBS. You know, after a national title, what's the point? I asked him a little bit about Tua and Alabama. I think the committee wants Alabama in. I think that Alabama means story. I think Alabama means money. I don't think that we try to read the tea leaves every year. We love to use precedent. We love using it. And I think that what the committee tells us every single year is that precedent means nothing. They like strength of schedule one year. They don't like it another. They like conference champions one year. They don't like it another. What you know that they like, and there's no precedent to this because this is just common sense, they like money. They like storyline. They like storyline that draws money. LSU, Joe Burrow, used to play at Ohio State, got passed up. They liked that. Georgia, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, disciple. Justin Fields, who used to play at Georgia, they liked that. They liked that Georgia might have a shot, even though that if Georgia were to lose in the SEC championship, they'd be out. Clemson, nobody's picking little old Clemson again. Defending national champions two in the last three years, but everybody's on the Roy bus again. Storyline, Dabo. Fun characters. That's what they like. None of this stuff. We, we, we think way too much about this. We put LSU in there. LSU's beating all these teams. Yep, LSU does this. Uh-huh. What gets LSU over, yeah, is their record. They also have a great football coach that, that looks like a football coach from a movie. And no, I'm not talking about Farmer Fran from the Waterboy. But looks like a Cajun coach from that area. Kind of a, just a big character. The Joe Burrow story, they love it. They just love that stuff. We focus way too much. 
If Oregon had that type of story, they'll put Oregon in. If Utah has that type of story, they'll put Utah in. But we try to find every year if there's some sort of hierarchy and some sort of year-by-year feeling. I think they just feel it out as the years go on. And every year, I think, is going to be different. The only thing I think is, maybe a little bit year-by-year, is based on how much money you draw and whether or not at that year they feel that you deserve it. Because it could very well be a year, and I can't disagree with Barton overall, Oregon keeps stacking wins, and they win a Pac-12 championship. Do I put Alabama in ahead of them? More than likely, because I try to make an argument to say that Alabama still would beat Oregon in a head-to-head football game. I don't know that. And I don't think anybody knows that. We would guess more than likely that Alabama would be a heavy favorite and win. But we'll see what the quarterback does. Because if they don't look good, if Mac doesn't look good, then I can't make an argument for you. But I can tell you this, at least as of right now, as of Saturday afternoon in the East and Saturday morning in the West, they want Alabama in. They want that type of matchup. Georgia is there just as a placeholder right now. I would assume that the committee believes that LSU will be able to beat Georgia. And then LSU will have basically umpteen quality wins. Ohio State, we'll see how Penn State finishes. We'll see how Michigan finishes. Minnesota, I don't know if I take them very seriously. There will be questions about strength of schedule with Ohio State. There always are. Clemson, it goes without saying. Alabama gets in. Now you have two of the historical teams, which plays in the storyline and plays in the money. And you also have LSU with a great story. And Ohio State, who is coming back off the mat for a lot of people where they didn't think that they were going to do very well this year. People were picking Michigan to win the Big Ten. And you automatically have your Big Ten team in there that brings in the second most amount of money in the college football per conference. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Coming up at 1.20 p.m. Eastern, five burning questions. Up next, Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network. He will join us on the show. Make sure you're listening to Yogi Roth. You're listening to Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. CBS Sports Radio's toll-free line brought to you by GEICO. Great news. You can save a ton of money by switching to GEICO. Go to GEICO.com, 15 minutes. You can save 15% or more on car insurance. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Coming up in just over 40 minutes, five burning questions. Also, you know, I can't say Mason Rudolph is a racist. I can't call Miles Garrett a liar. And that's exactly how the league wants it. That coming up a little bit later on. I still wonder if it's a national title and maybe that's it. Like, what is the obligation of a college football player? Tua Tagovailoa hurts his hip, and I can't help but think it, and it's it's become an old thought, like it first happened with Jalen Smith and a couple other guys. Like, what is an obligation for a player? Tua's won a national championship. Where would he have gone in last year's draft? Hell, where, where would he have gone in the draft before that? Now, I know that that's a bit of a stretch, obviously. Where would he have gone in last year's draft? You know, what's the obligation to it? And at a place like Alabama, I know it's not always the same in a lot of other places. We're talking about a very special scenario in Alabama. But do you expect them to be able to pick up where they left off? Maybe the next guy isn't as good as Tua. Maybe Mac's not as good as Tua. But you would assume that they'd be able to carry on their business. This is the best prospect that Saban ever had as far as NFL quarterbacking at, at Alabama. And so when you have that guy... And he has an injury at the beginning of the year and then a season-ending injury towards the end of the year. You you can't help but wonder, what's this all about? When's his obligation officially end? Let me ask Yogi Roth that. Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network, Elite 11, knows quarterbacks implicitly. 
at Yogi Roth on Twitter. Yogi, thanks for joining me today. Let me ask you, Tua gets hurt. Tua's got a national championship. I think that as we go forward, especially with guys being able to be paid for their likeness, so they'll have a little bit of coin in their pocket, you're thinking more and more towards maybe getting to the next level. What's the obligation for a quarterback after he's accomplished a national championship or a Heisman Trophy for a program, but he still has to come back year per the NCAA slash NFL rules? That's a good question. So what's the ob- I want to make sure I understand it. What's the obligation that the like, quarterback has to the school after winning yeah, the championship? Because it's it's almost like the obligation to where he doesn't have to feel guilty. I guess would be the would be maybe the question there. Yeah, I don't I don't know if those guys feel guilty about coming back. I mean, I, knowing the quarterbacks that I've been around and and every year we get them as counselors you reference the Elite 11 in the open, um they come back. So whether it was Jalen came back, Tua came back, I mean, they all come and they're counselors for us. And, you know, the number one trait of being an elite quarterback to me is being an elite competitor. So these guys want to come back and say, hey, I can go do it again and again and again. So I don't think they feel obligated. I think what we're seeing now is that when their picture's everywhere, when their jersey's selling everywhere, now more than ever because of what people are talking about, they're saying, hey, like maybe I should be involved in that conversation. And I, clearly I think that that's totally fair. But I don't think anybody – thinks it's a burden every quarterback I talk to that's that's special they embrace the burden of influence and I think that's one of the primary jobs of a quarterback Yogi Roth what a strong answer from Yogi Roth Pac-12 Network Elite 11 I heard you on DA show earlier this week you say Justin Herbert's better than Joe Burrow is that correct well no I say that when I talk to scouts that's what they tell me is that he's still the number one prospect on the board and a lot of them talk about just the natural physical traits that he has. And I think Joe is clearly a his story's epic, right? I mean, he's a Heisman front runner as of today. And I just think that Justin Herbert's skill sets, kind of like Andrew Luck a little bit. You know, you, I don't want to say they get ignored or taken for granted of, but there's a certain element where it's like, yeah, he's really good. He's really special. He's really talented. And, uh, and okay, let's move on and talk about what's sexy. And, and Justin isn't that. He doesn't have Instagram. He doesn't have a brand. He doesn't care about that. So I just think that overall, he's kind of been lost because of probably week one this year and them losing that and the way the media works in college football. Nobody's really talked about him. But that'll come back in a, with, with Fury over the next couple of weeks. Obviously, the Pac-12 title, if they play you know, the number one defense, depending which category you look at in Utah, in the country. So they'll, they'll get going about him again. But I, I still think his physical traits is what's going to, allow him to be in that conversation for the top quarterback in the country come draft time. Why do they keep leaving Oregon out when it comes to the college football playoff? They're right there. They're looking good. Their only loss was a good loss at the beginning of the year, and they're still on the outside looking in. Yeah, I think it's the the, the hardest thing with the CFP. I think there's two major issues with it, and then the hardest part. And I I got to sit on the mock committee, which is basically, for those that, if they're not familiar, every year they do – a pretend CFP committee and they invite certain members of the media. So I was able to go as one of the members of the media. Um, oh, hold on one second. I just, yeah, ma'am, excuse me. Sorry. Okay. Thank you. I just got to the stadium. They're, uh, they're getting where, on parking. So where are you at? Getting, I'm at the big game. I'm in Berkeley right now <laughs> or in Stanford. And, uh, I brought you guys right into the, to the parking discussion. Uh, so I appreciate coming on the road with me here. That was uh, fabulous. That said, yeah, for sure. Anyway, to answer your question about why Oregon is being left out, my opinion is pretty simple. Uh, the committee 
they split when they say, do I value a good win or do I value a quality loss? And that's the issue right now. And they value LSU's win and Alabama's loss as a better loss than Oregon's loss to Auburn. And, you know, the problem is that there's contradictory elements of that, you know, all across the CFP's history of what they value, when they value it, how they value it. So that to me is an unfortunate element of this thing because now at the committee, when you walk in, they give you the basically the four pillars to evaluate on. The problem is that you get to say which one's weighted more or less. So conference championship. Ronnie Locke could say that conference championships mean a lot, and Todd Stansberry can say they mean nothing. Like Everybody has their own opinion and their thought process around the criteria to be in the CFP, and I think that's a major problem right now because that's why we see inconsistencies pretty much across the board when you look at the short history and brief history, but still the history of the college football playoff. I agree. I also think it's a little bit, it, it could be a little bit frustrating because I just don't know how many precedents that we can set year to year. I mean, you just said it. Some years, well, we love conference winners, and the other years, eh, it doesn't matter. Like that, it's always kind of that thought. And I always just wonder, well, is it just common sense of, all right, who has a good story and who's going to push money? Is, is that the way this is supposed to be worked out throughout? Because I, I'm. The West Coast isn't like it's just falling apart over there. They like college football, and they certainly have a lot of money to spend. So it makes me wonder about those types of those types of thought and what goes on in that committee, Yogi. Yeah, well, and that that sentiment, uh, I hate. You know, to be really blunt, you know, if you play nine conference games and a conference championship game against a top ten team, and you're in the Pac-12, or you play nine conference games and you play the second best team, and you're in the Big Twelve. Or if you play nine conference, like to, to, my point is that if you play eight conference games, you you have no argument to me. You have zero argument. Let alone when we look at the way the schedule is laid out, you have zero zero argument. So, like if, if I sat there and said to you, Alabama is one of the four best teams in the country, everybody would say yes unequivocally. They're one of the four best programs, one of the four best rosters, but they haven't done it on the field. And the road to get it done is as easy as anybody's in the nation, right? Off a bye week at home against LSU, almost got lit up for 50, right? Basically a bye week this week, Auburn next week, and no conference championship game. Like, they're out of the discussion. You know, so when I look at what Oregon had to do, on the road at UW, Washington State at home was beating them for three straight years, uh, and then they had to go on the road to USC and win in a night game in a primetime game. They did those things. Alabama, and no, no one from the SEC has a three-game stretch like that. LSU, you got to give them credit because the teams they've beaten, where they've beaten them, beating Texas on the road, beating Bama on the road, I get all that. But at some point, when we raise our kids, and I have a four-year-old, and we raise them to say, it matters how you play, and it matters if you win or if you lose. And then when they get to college, they say, no, 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 no. we actually have an algorithm. Uh, we have a committee. We have a, a different process that doesn't take that into consideration. To me, it's just like a slap in the face of sport when we talk about teams that have totally different paths to get to a title, if they can get there, if their path isn't the most difficult, especially if it's the easiest. And that's, that's to me, where Bama is right now. So I, I think the committee is on that same train. I don't think the rankings will change this weekend dramatically. Maybe they do shift because they do take injuries into consideration, see how much Mac Jones plays, see if Talia Tagovailoa plays to his younger brother. Sounds like he's going to play a little bit more. This weekend, so I would imagine that they make a flip as long as Utah, Oregon plays well. But we'll see. You know, it'll be telling to see how much they value the injury element. 
I got a four-year-old too. It just gives me peace of mind that uh, you and I won't, will, both won't have to worry about that because it'll be a 16-team playoff by the time that yeah. that comes around. So, Amen. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if 17 has an argument after that. Do you think, by the way, do you do you appreciate or do you want a uh, eight-game or eight-team playoff? What do you want? I, I want uniformity, you know, to be quite honest with you. So whether it's eight conference games or whether it's nine conference games and a championship, whether it's the Big 12 model and it's the one and two team play each other or whether it's every conference champ gets in. Like, I just want it where it's fair. Like, and I don't mean fair like everybody gets a trophy in Little League. Like, that's BS. Like, I'm not about that. But you can't, and I don't care if it's Paul Feinbaum, who speaks a bunch of gibberish, in my opinion, in the South, or whether it's me on the West Coast, which somebody in the South could say that about me, and that's fine, too. But my point is that there's different styles of football. I could turn on and watch Penn State, Ohio State right now. The style in which they're playing is different than the one I'm going to see later on this afternoon on the West Coast. It's different than the one we're going to see in the South. It's the different than the one we're going to see in the Big 12. Like, there are different styles of football, and that's what makes it great. Right? It's great when we see Syracuse in basketball and the zone defense play a high-flying team you know, from the West Coast and wants to move the ball up and down the floor. Right? That's what makes sports beautiful. Mm-hmm. So if we're just going to have this – you know, four games or four team party at the end of the year and half the teams play the same style of football from the same conference, we're disrespecting the game. And I'm, I'm just big on you don't have a job, I don't have a job, if there's no game. And the minute we start disrespecting the game and the craft is when it becomes politicized, when it becomes convoluted, and when interest begins to wane. And that's, to me, where college football has entered into with, the CFP, only four teams. If Bama is to get in this year over a conference champ who has one loss, to me that would just be a, an area where saying, yeah, I'm not really that interested anymore. Yogi Roth with us on the show. Final question, 15 years for Kyle Whittingham. Can you describe the type of job that he's done at, at Utah? Well, I was there his first game. It's a sad moment for me and my fellow pitch fans, but it was a Fiesta Bowl. 2004, and it was Urban's last game, and they were quote-unquote co-head coaches. And I remember listening to the press conference that week, and I was doing the sideline for the radio back in the day, and I was like, oh, this guy's impressive. And then since I've been in the pack, I've been around his program a ton and done a documentary series where they let us in all season long. He's, he's been fascinating. And I say that on the heels of when you're around somebody who's dramatically organized, uh, uncommonly consistent is probably the phrase I'd use with him, and his mentality is reflected in every phase of the program. And when the players leave the program, it's, it's one that you just say, yep, wherever he would go, they would win. And what he's done with Utah in terms of identification, it is, and I'll say this, I don't even have to get on a soapbox, it's better than every team in the country. It's better than Alabama, it's better than LSU, it's better than Ohio State, it's better than every one of those teams. And I say that because you look at every team ranked ahead of Utah right now, they are, I think the lowest amount of four- and five-star players on that roster is 38. Utah had eight. Eight. Wow. Eight four- or five-star prospects. And they got the best defense, I think, in the country. Right? So he identifies, he develops, and he gets them to play well in the field, and their scheme is, is as good as I think you're going to find. Uh, so, yeah, man, I'm raving about that guy. <laughs> Yogi, we thank you very much. We know you're busy today with Cal Stanford. Enjoy the day. Enjoy the game. Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon, friend. You got it. Thank you. Yogi Roth joining us on the hotline. 855-212-4CBS. Love what he says about quarterbacks. It's interesting what he says about Justin Herbert. With Joe Bur- Joe Burrow is a great story. I still think Joe Burrow is a guy where I, if LSU continues to do it, I, how many owners get involved? 
If you're in Cincinnati, I got Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert might be a better, and, and Duke Tobin's in charge of things down there. Can't believe we're talking draft, but I got, I, I got a minute. I got to do it. You got Duke Tobin in charge of things, if I'm not mistaken. You got the owner of Mike Brown there. You have a local guy in Cincinnati, in southwest Ohio, that area with, with Joe Burrow. How do you say no in favor of Justin Herbert? Now, the football man might say that Justin Herbert's the better prospect and he might be better, bigger, and the whole the whole thing. But if Mike Brown takes the reins like he usually does, how does Cincinnati say no to Joe Burrow? If Washington's second right now, a guy who's a fan, Dan Snyder's a fan, big fan of football, big fan of the Redskins, I already think and I already wonder if, I shouldn't say think, but I already wonder Arizona did it. You'll have a new head coach in, depending on the type of name they get, depending on the type of person. If it's a big name, that guy could get a lot of power again. Maybe Dan Snyder wants to go that route. I don't know if I'll ever get rid of Bruce Allen, so I can't say that that's the truth. Bruce Allen seems to like him, so maybe Dwayne Haskins would be safe. But if it continues to go this way and he doesn't know what's going on and he doesn't know his offensive lineman, I think that Redskins fans have to wonder whether or not it's time to go after a quarterback with the second, if it stays where they're at with the second overall pick. So if that becomes a Bur- uh, a Burrow or Herbert question, I think both have a lot on their shoulders from the very get-go with with awful franchises, good fan bases, usually both, every football team is good fan base, but good fan bases, but bad franchises, not great support staffs. One, you don't know who the head coach is. The other one's very, very young, and everybody wants to be Sean McVay. And for them, with the story, how do you pass up on Joe Burrow? if everything comes to fruition the way we think it could for LSU. Just over a half hour away, five burning questions up next. I can't say Mason Rudolph's a racist. I can't say Miles Garrett's a liar. That's exactly how the league wants it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.